Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter Guys, episode 63. This is a show where the lines between freight and finance are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox. I've got Seth home with me as well. We've got a great show. We're going to talk about the UBS note from last week that actually put out bigger price targets and actually expanded uh, earnings estimates for the truckload sector, but downgraded stocks as the risk reward profile uh, has now balanced, given that most of the stocks are up between 10 and 20% year to date. So we're going to talk about what we think about that note, uh, our expectations for the rest of the year in the truckload market, uh, but we also got a few fantastic you care or nas, so we'll get to those. Seth, thanks for joining me. I'm glad for you to be here. Uh, I do want to ask you a question. Two things. What do you think of the techno king of Tesla, Elon Musk's new uh, name and new new title that is? And have you tried the new McDonald's chicken sandwich? Because I was very skeptical when I saw Craig Fuller, our CEO, put on uh, Twitter that it was his second favorite chicken sandwich, a close runner-up. To the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, I was obviously very skeptical because I love Chick-fil-A, but it, it's pretty damn good. I just had one for lunch and it was it was almost as good as Chick-fil-A, definitely better than the Popeyes or the KFC one. Wanted to know what you think. Right. So uh, on the first part, I actually didn't know that. Um, you know, I'm not on Twitter anymore. So um, oh, I didn't. Right, right. Yeah, he's changed his title to Techno King of Tesla and the CFO has taken over the name as Master of Coin. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he's always doing you know, little silly things on Twitter. It doesn't surprise me, but I didn't know that. Um, on the McDonald's chicken sandwich, I'm actually really interested in that as well. Um, uh, I was just on a road trip, actually, and I just tried the Zaxby's chicken sandwich for the first time because um, there was no Chick-fil-A, and that was good as well. Uh, but I've heard similar things to uh, what Craig said and, and what you said. Uh, a lot of people have said, you know, it's incredible. It's a, it's a really good sandwich. So uh, I'm, I'm going to try it out sometime in the near future. Yeah, highly recommend. Great sandwich. The Zaxby's one is good as well. I like how they do little uh, one-offs. They did like a, a, a Asian one the other week. It was delicious. But let's bring it back to freight uh, and and the adjunct, uh, the adjacent. That is, uh, sorry, I've got a dog. I forgot to put my dogs outside, and one of them's uh, having crazy dreams right now, and he's crying in his sleep. So it's very distracting. But let's get to it. You care or not, nah, Seth? I'm going to give you an event, a topic, or an idea. You tell me whether you care or not nah and why, and then we will discuss. The first one is on Adidas. Adidas is aiming to be 50% of its sales to come from direct-to-consumer channels by 2025. Seth, you care or not? Nah? I care. Uh, this is this is big time. I, I was uh, impressed when I saw this headline. I mean, you know, the question is always, can they deliver? But um, they're, th they're throwing out some like, uh, let's see, it's 2021 now, four-year growth targets out to 2025 that are uh, that are aggressive. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but the Adidas is calling for something like 8 to 10% annual sales growth, closer to 20% earnings growth. And then they have their DTC business, uh, which is, you know, a mixture of stores and online doubling over four years from 25% uh, to 50%. So, um, and then there's some other stuff going on with their merchandise mix as well, but um you know, Nike was kind of a forward leader in this, and so was Lululemon, and it seems like Adidas is uh, trying to quickly catch up here. Yeah, I was really amazed by uh, the number that I saw that the direct to see the, the DTC business for Adidas made up 30% of sales in 2019, uh, but and then 40% of sales in 2020. So at first glance, it seems like 50% by 2025 it, to me looked like a, a, a low a low aiming goal, but then you think about they probably, given the huge growth they had online and the lack of sales in stores they had, 
you can probably see some of that DTC uh, sales lose back to wholesaling yes. uh, this year. So uh, now with that in mind, thinking maybe we get back to roughly mid-30s maybe in, at the end of 2021, uh, 50% by 2025 is a huge goal, especially given that Nike right now is only uh, 33% uh, direct-to-consumer in 2020. I think they've got a goal to get up to 40 or 50%, but they haven't really had much of a, of a public announcement of that. Under Armour, I think, is at around 30% right now. Uh, so big, big, big goal. Uh, and there's just nothing standing in the way of brands to do this nowadays, especially the big brands, Nike, Under Armour, uh, uh, and Adidas. Right now, technology providers, e-commerce technology providers, and logistics uh, partners have made it very easy for these companies to roll out their own, roll out their own online websites and handle their own fulfillment and uh, and sales channels. So there's really, there's nothing standing in the way of care of these retailers going back and taking control of their own customer experience, their own customer data. And as you said, unlock higher margins all the way. Well, that that's mostly true. But, um, you know, I, I used to meet with all these companies, take a footlocker, for example, and they're still very important in Nike's value chain. So uh, where it, the, the barriers are breaking longstanding, uh, you know, um, mutually beneficial relationships and you have to be careful there. And a lot of times there's long-term contracts in place. And one thing uh, it's a little bit harder to do in the U S I think than it would be in say emerging markets or somewhere with a more undeveloped uh, distribution chain. Um, because uh, in the U S a lot of times you do have those longstanding sort of wholesale uh, agreements there in place. And so uh, you gotta, you, you know, if you're the company, you gotta make sure you don't want to be cannibalizing, um, you know, those sales at the same time. But uh, ultimately, I do think this is the long-term direction of, of most brands, particularly the ones where they've got a good relationship with their customer because the margin, you know, just using a simple shoe uh, shoe example for Nike, if you've got a $100 pair of shoes, the way it used to work is, you know, Foot Locker pays you uh, $50 for them and then they mark them up to $100. Uh, this time you can, and, uh, and say they cost $25, you make a $25 gross profit this time you can still sell them for a hundred and, and capture that all that Delta in the, in the gross profit. So I do think, and then capture all the customer data at the same time. So this long-term trend will, uh, will likely continue. Yeah. I mean, and I think to add a little bit of intrigue to the story is we're not only seeing brands doing this now, but we saw a major retailer Nordstrom also announced that they're moving away from the wholesale uh, model towards more of a concession like model. I think we're going to see a huge build out of uh, even more shop within shops than we're seeing now, not unsimilar to what uh, Target is doing with Ulta and the newest one, Apple and Levi's and Disney. I think that we're going to see more of that uh, even in um, in Nordstrom in particular. I saw that a story on Wall Street Journal this week where they've you know, they've building out the tonal um, shop within shops and those are expected to grow exponentially of the, of the next couple of years. So I think that those attaching themselves to direct to consumer brands and doing a concession type model is maybe a way that other retailers are going to follow. What do you think? Well, uh, it makes me think that Ron Johnson, the CEO uh, of JCPenney 10 years ago, was 10 years ahead of his time because that was his idea. Yeah. Um, it came from Apple. So, uh, and it looked great. I actually went down to the, to the headquarters in Dallas 10 years ago for that analyst day. And uh, I thought it would work. The problem was it was, it was too futuristic and it took way too much capital. And they had to take away the coupons. So um, I do think there is something there. I mean, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods has, has been another, uh, you know, store in store leader there. With the, If you think about when you go to a Dick's, it's basically just one gigantic Nike and Under Armour store in store. 
other than the right. sporting equipment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do think that that sort of, and it's more of an asset light model for the brands where they can still have some physical infrastructure to kind of show off their product. Uh, yeah, two points. It seems that, uh, I don't know if you've seen, uh, Target is looking to take over a place. I think it was it was a Macy's, it maybe still is a Macy's on the Michigan Mile uh, in Chicago. And people are fighting back saying that that's not the type of store that they want on the Michigan, or the Magnificent Mile, sorry, not yeah. the Michigan Mile. Uh, and, uh, but, but that's the truth is that target has become the, the new, uh, the, the 21st century department store with, uh, with its Disney corner and its Levi corner and everything else. Um, but in any case, let's, let's bring it back to our second point that we're going to go to that is on Walmart. So this one is pretty interesting to me. I, I find it, I definitely care about this one. I'll foreshadow and take the lead. So Walmart has enlisted American fashion designer, Brandon Maxwell as its creative director for its select elevated fashion brands. So these two brands are Scoop and Free Assembly. I like the, the term elevated brands. I assume that's going to try to differentiate themselves from some of the lower cost items and the lower cost brands that Walmart owns. But this is a big deal. I, I didn't know a lot about this guy, but I did recognize his name. He's a very well-known um, a very well-known fashion designer in New York City. He's been a, a host or a, a judge on Project One Way. Before and I think this is really funny. The cat and mouse game that's going on, going back to the same point we just made about Adidas, there's a cat and mouse game going on between brands and retailers. You have brands fighting back against retailers' private label successes uh, by going to direct to consumer and trying to take a hold of the the sales channel. And then on the reverse of that, you have companies like Target going and signing collabs with Levi's or. Uh, or, or other designers, and you have Walmart now bringing on a very prominent fashion designer to beef up its uh, its own proprietary brand. So there's there's a back and forth going here. Seth, what do you think about Walmart enlisting the help of Brandon Maxwell as its creative director? You care or not? Um, I mean, I, I do care. I don't think it's going to be some huge material thing for Walmart, but I do think. Speaking of Target, they're trying to go more in that direction. We, you know, you and I have talked about it a lot where. Uh, Target is really, really good at selling cheap, good clothing. And I think that's what Walmart is trying to capture here. Uh, I think the execution risk is that, uh, you know, can Brandon Maxwell uh, take that super high-end, elevated New York fashion runway style and then translate mm -hmm. it to, to, middle, to middle America into something that they actually want to wear? Uh, and that'll be interesting. I have no idea um, whether that, that will be the case or not. But, um, you know, I think if... Uh, the, the other thing for retailers is uh, the, the clothing, it, it, it's high margin and it, it drives customer loyalty as well. So uh, it makes sense to me why they're doing it. Uh, as for being able to accurately project whether or not I think it'll work, I don't, like you, I don't know too much about Brandon Maxwell. I've actually never heard of him. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it is interesting in, in terms of, uh, I think it's a good strategic move over the long term, whether this particular one works or not. I think that, uh, well, you know, he is from Longview, Texas. Apparently he has middle America roots. He says he's moved back and forth between Texas and New York many times. And that he's, he actually said he'd always wanted to work at Walmart, that he always saw himself working at Walmart. I'm kind of skeptical of that one. But I think that they're, they are negating a little bit of the risk here by uh, not, they're not going to roll this out nationwide to thousands of stores. I, I do believe that the uh, free assembly line that he's taking over is going to be rolled out to 500 stores this year, but they've been testing all these proprietary brands online and now they're moving them uh, to in stores, but there's market share there for the taking. I mean, with JCPenney's and Macy's uh, down and out, I mean, Target obviously has gained some market share this year. Amazon, Walmart probably has as well when it comes to apparel, but there's still uh, market share there available. 
All right, let's yeah. move on to number three. So this one is on trailer orders. FTR Transportation Intelligence said that trailer orders fell 23% month over month in February, but orders remained 64% above this time last year. Seth, you care or not? Care on this one. Uh, this is obviously important to trucking. I mean, I think new truck orders actually fell 20% sequentially to uh, from December and from around $50,000 run rate, I mean, 50,000 unit run rate in November and December, which was a four decade high to about 40,000. Um, but with it, the, the truck orders are actually still up more like 150% year over year um, off the top of my head. So the trailers are kind of running into manufacturing bottlenecks here where they're kind of all mm -hmm. tapped out, which was the, you know, the, uh, the point of uh, Alan Adler's article here. So it'll be interesting because I wonder at what point, um, maybe you have an answer to this question, but if truck orders continue to run at 150% year over year and new trailer manufacturing capacity is tapped out, do you just buy a new truck and use an old trailer or are you even able to order that truck without a trailer? Yeah, I don't have uh, a solid answer for you, but I, you know, I don't. It seems that those truck orders are going to, and we're going to get into this with the UBS note, is that they're expecting those truck orders to peak uh, if they haven't already peaked, but peak and contend gradually come down. Uh, they're having supplier issues at the at the same way that uh, trailer orders, not to the same extent, but manufacturers of trailers. There was one Dan Geesen who's with uh, Staunton Trailers. He said that they're essentially full through the end of the year when it comes to orders, and they've actually stopped taking in new orders to allow their suppliers to backlog uh, their their supplier backlogs to clear. Um, so I don't know if I were, I don't know if if I would be uh, I don't know what if I would do in that situation where you could buy trucks but couldn't buy trailers. I think that people have bought enough trailers over the past they've ordered enough trailers over the past six months that maybe when those finally when those hit the market. There will be uh, not so much additional need for them, but uh, there's yeah. been a lot of equipment ordered, and we'll we'll get into more conversation about the equipment orders uh, here in a moment when we get to UBS. But we've got one more you care or not to get to, and it's on retail sales. The number came in for February. Uh, it was unsurprisingly disappointing. Uh, retail sales dropped three percent in February. Seth, you care or not? I don't care on this one, and I, I think the answer is uh, you. Um, you and I knew that was coming. Um, everybody uh, on Wall Street and that follows the consumer spending data, uh, we we track it every week uh, and we talk about it. Uh, we saw that hit to the data in uh, the middle of February and sort of that in that two week period uh, from the winter storms. Um, and uh, we, we also saw it in the freight volumes and the trucking volumes and, uh, mm -hmm. and it really set spot rates to the moon. So we knew this was coming and we knew we were gonna get a snapback and, uh, you know, last week's consumer spending data, I think, showed it was up almost 15% year over year, or maybe it was 11% on a one year and, and, and 16 on a two year basis. So we've already seen that snapback. I think this is old news and, uh, and is, is irrelevant data at this point. Yeah, agreed. I do not care about this one. I'll just make one note that we all uh, make, California makes headlines with being the fourth largest economy in the world on a GDP scale, but People forget Texas is number 10 on a world scale, and that entire economy was shut down for a week or more. So uh, it is to be expected that retail sales came in uh, pretty weak. Uh, and as you said, Bank of America data still remains really strong. You were right. It was up 17% uh, over the two-year. They started uh, producing a two-year number to account for the distortions that are going to come up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, they, they listed three reasons. Payback from stimulus-driven uh, gain in January that, that came as a lapse in payments in February. You had delayed tax refunds as well, which I'm beginning to not understand because I, I filed my taxes on Tuesday and got my refund back on Saturday. It was, it was actually amazing last week. And then, of course, the blizzard. So 
I'm not too worried about this number at all. I think we're going to have a very strong March and a quick snack back. I think people are buzzing to get outside, buzzing to do things. I, I don't know if you saw downtown Chattanooga over the weekend, but it was amazing. I mean, it was very masked and I was happy to see that, but people were walking around, people were out and about with their families. There's just a good sign. Warm weather is on the way. And I think uh, the sentiment is changing in the country. And that that is a good thing. Yeah. All right, let's get on to UBS. So UBS, uh, UBS analyst, Tom Wadowitz, and oh, why am I forgetting the other guy's name? Uh, I apologize. But Tom Wadowitz and his partner yeah. uh, and their team put, put out this recent report last week where they downgraded, downgraded the truckload group to neutral as the risk reward is likely balanced. So they lowered ratings on Knight Swift, Werner, and Schneider from buy to neutral. And the reasons were that they believe the stock market, uh, the, the truckload uh, spot market is coming to a peak. Uh, like I said, the risk reward has become balanced following a 10 to 20% run up in most of the stocks. Uh, and then we'll get into class eight orders and trucking company employment is, is rising. But Seth, you want to talk a little bit about um, just the historical connection between their, the, the data sets they look at between the truck, truckload stock markets and the MDI and uh, class eight truck orders, and then we'll discuss their findings. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think it was, was it last week or the week before, you know, you're, you're starting to see a mixed sentiment among these analysts and both Tom Wadowitz and Ken Hexter at, at Bank of America, they're both really good analysts, both worth listening to. And I'm, what I'm thinking is maybe Ken's upgrade was more tactical in nature in that, uh, the winter weather was going to continue this cycle for another, you know, three to four months and make spot rates go higher. Whereas Tom's is maybe a little bit more forward looking because he kind of acknowledged, hey, things will probably stay good for the next six months. Uh, it's just that when you put in a near term peak, the top, the stocks themselves actually tend to underperform and, and peak out. Um, but what he really hit on, uh, I'd say the crux of his note was a couple of things. So he uh, he analyzed historical data, particularly on the new um uh, class eight truck orders, and then compared that to the MDI, the market demand index from truck stop, I believe it is, which is basically a measure of uh, loads to trucks. And so uh, it's an indicator of, of spot market activity and tightness in the market. So when you get a really high MDI index, generally the spot market is booming. And what he found, um, and then and then when you link the, the, the new class eight orders and the MDI, uh, basically the new class eight orders, uh, they bottomed in May of 2020 at around 4,000 trucks a month. Now they're up 10x year over year to about 40,000 uh, right now. And so basically, generally, uh, the bottom in May 2020 uh, historically is followed a year later by a topping in MDI, which then tops coincidentally at the same time with the stock. So that's a basically he says, since new truck orders he's forecasting will uh, will peak in May 2021 because they bottomed a year ago, then trucking stocks might do the same. And he lists a whole bunch of other reasons that we can kind of go into in, in more detail. Right. So you're looking at here the sonar chart uh, blue line. You've got class eight truck orders and then the orange line got class six and seven together. So that is over the last five years. You can see the most recent months. Uh, we don't have the data in for February, but uh, the data there for uh, December and January nearing that pretty much the all time high multi decade high 40 uh, around 45,000 uh, trucks in those months. So, yes, the, uh, the and then the next. Next chart we've got for you, if they can pop this one up, it is actually class eight truck orders and our outbound tender rejection index. 
And yes, yep. so the Alpha Rejection Index here in green. So the, the MDI and the OTRI have very similar properties in that it's a measure of relative capacity to uh, relative loads available. And so you can see that the green line actually leads that uh, blue line uh, beforehand. So you And when OTRI is high, the market is tight. Carriers are seeing rates pushed up. They're then incentivized to go and get more trucks, either to replenish their trucks or to uh, expand the fleet. So very similar connection between Class 8 truck orders and uh, our own outbound tender rejection index. Um, so yeah, UBS's view is that the, the current extreme tightness is likely to peak this cycle, as Seth said. So in the next couple months, probably in April or May, that would be a year after the bottoming in Class 8 truck orders last year. But they're expecting the truckload, truckload market to remain tight through the end of the year. Uh, and that makes total sense. You and I, I think we both agree that there are uh, some headwinds when it comes to capacity head, heading into the market towards the back end of the year. But we still have major capacity constraints on the driver side, um, whether it be the drug and alcohol clearinghouse or um, or the, the the lack of schools being open right now at, at low capacity. It's still very difficult for companies to seat trucks. That's why we're seeing the incredible wage inflation across the board, across segments uh, in trucking right now. And then they also mentioned that the fiscal stimulus, and this is something that um, that I think Tom Wadowitz also spoke to, or yeah, sorry, um, Hexler, Ken Hexler also spoke to that this fiscal stimulus just may actually extend the peak even further than they had originally anticipated, given the strong unemployment or the, the strong employment growth that we're going to have in the back half of the year and into 2022. Yeah, and uh, you know, just to put some numbers around that, I think UPS, uh, UBS is economist. They had previous, before the new $1.9 trillion stimulus plan uh, passed, they had previously expected a big drop-off, or at least a moderate drop-off in uh, consumer goods spending, which matters for trucking, in the back half of 2021, and now they no longer see that. So that's, uh, I think, uh, in the first half of 2021, now UBS's economists are forecasting goods spending to be up low teens. And then falling up, falling down a little bit, but still up about five percent from the third quarter of 21 to the second quarter of 22. So, in light of that environment, it could continue to go on. But so he's, in other words, he's he's not so uh, uh, he doesn't have a ton of conviction that the cycle is going to end right here, right now. It's more so that it's going to peak out, and that's bad for the stocks. Uh, and then he goes into a lot of things uh, that are that I also thought were interesting. He basically says that a lot of the big trucking companies who are having trouble seating those drivers right now uh, are having that problem because spot rates are actually so, so high that a lot of people are striking out on their own uh, as owner operators and smaller fleets. And that in, is, in and of itself is a problem because the trucking market is so fragmented. It's basically beholden to the, uh, in some cases, irrational decision expansion decision making of, of owner ops that kind of ruin it for everyone. And so that's kind of what he sees taking place in the back half of the market. So really what we're, it seems like what we're talking about every week on freight waves and, uh, and, on, and on this podcast is, I would say the, the current consensus uh, has moved back a little bit. A lot of people thought the trucking market was going to kind of falter a little bit in the, in the back half of 2021 as we got uh, you know, this sort of inevitable mix shift to services spending post-vaccine. And now it sort of seems like that, that consensus has been pushed back a little bit to maybe the back half, uh, the, the later part of 2021 or the early part of 2022. 
I don't think we should have been uh, doubting Ravi. I think it was maybe mid mid January when he came out and said that he was even more bullish uh, that the second half isn't going to have this downturn that we had expected it to. He he remained a little bit cautious, but he said that he believed that there was still um, further goods demand, further consumer demand to be had in the second half. And you and I both went on there and were a bit skeptical, but it seems that every passing week uh, his call is becoming more and more correct and more and more likely. Uh, so let's let's ask these two questions that they I'll pose these questions to you and we can uh, we can discuss. So they, they answered a couple questions in the note. So the first one was, is capacity expansion from a wider reopening of the economy a risk to the truckload cycle? What do you say? Um, yeah, I mean, it always is. I mean, uh, the supply and demand is king in trucking um, right now. Demand is so, so high. Uh, I actually think it can go a little bit higher here because these fourteen hundred dollar checks are just being dispersed right now. And. Uh, generally, the, those will get spent within a matter of 10 days, and, and I think the propensity to actually consume those uh, is going to be very, very high. Uh, Morgan Stanley's economist found that given uh, the, how great a shape consumer balance sheets are right now, and, and even with 7% unemployment, uh, people feel pretty good about their financial situation, so they're basically just going to spend this stimulus check just like it's a regular paycheck. So uh, I do think the categories will change a little bit. But yes, uh, you know, you have seen uh, Tom uh, Wadowitz mentions two data sets. You can look at the BLS data uh, for trucking, which is only four higher. That's been creeping up off the bottom. It's been going up like half a percent a month, I want to say. Uh, off the bottom uh, about a year ago. Uh, and then you can look at the FMCSA data, which includes both for hire and, uh, and uh, excuse me, private fleets. But there's, there's it, that data is squirrely. As we well know, our research group has really sort of torn down that data and analyzed it a lot. There's always some issues with it because uh, a lot of people don't ever drop out of that data and they're only ever coming into it. So it's not the cleanest of data, but in any event, uh, capacity, whether it's measured by new truck orders uh, or BLS or FMCSA data, it is starting to creep up. So as soon as demand starts to come down and if the, you know, the supply, uh, uh, the capacity continues to drift up, then eventually you, you will see a peaking in the market. It's just a matter of, of when. Right. I think this question needs to be it is not so much is capacity expansion from a wider reopening, but is a wider reopening uh, a risk to the truckload cycle? Because not only do you have drivers that are probably more likely or, or are likely to come back to the market because of uh, you know less social distancing rules, maybe they've been at home taking care of kids, who knows? Uh, but you also are eventually going to have the these unemployment benefits will expire probably towards the end of this year. Do you know when the is it ex ex expanded through September? Is that the correct? Uh you know what? I'm not sure exactly, but you have this other wild card in there that we should mention. So that the people that are bullish and fall in the bull camp say, well, not only do you have those two things, the bottlenecks of the driver schools uh, still in place, but uh, you have a starting to boom industrial and manufacturing economy, which would you know uh, keep that, that normal mix shift from entering the market. I don't know where I stand on that. It's hard to say. Um, but in any event, it seems that the supply of drivers is increasing modestly, but they're having to pay them a lot uh, to do that double digits uh, year over year. Yeah, I was reading on the Midday Market Update today, we covered a news story. Uh, Todd Maiden had spoken to uh, uh, Garrett from Recon Logistics, and he basically yeah. said that customer acquisition costs right now have never been lower. You can find yeah. freight uh, anywhere you look. You can find new customers, but driver acquisition costs have never been higher. 
Uh, so they, you know, as as we spoke about with U.S. Express last week and Variant, you know, one of their biggest one of their biggest costs is uh, hiring and, and training drivers. Something I think you mentioned it was between ten and twelve thousand dollars per driver. I think it is. It's just a it's a crazy yeah. number that, uh, that these carriers uh, deal with when bringing new drivers on. Um, all right, so we've got about two minutes here. Uh, what are you guys covering on your special topic? Or what did you guys cover on your special topic on the Passport Research last Friday? Um, so last week we talked about the semiconductor shortage that never seems to go away and it's affecting everything from rail to, to trucking and, and auto production in particular. Um, we uh, That started back in January and it's causing a lot of these auto OEMs, particularly the, the American ones, the Fords and the GMs of the world, to miss production targets and bring down their estimates for Wall Street in terms of what they're going to earn. And just to kind of put some numbers around that, uh, we we looked at several different examples, but Ford expects their full year, uh, or excuse me, first half of 2021 production to take a 10 to 20 percent hit and that, and that their earnings to be hit for the full year by like several billion dollars. So it's a big deal. Uh, it's shaking up supply chains. It's just another issue of capacity. We're seeing this across all modes of transportation out on the ocean. Uh, we're likely going to see it in, even in the air here as passenger travel resumes. Uh, but it's just another case of that. It's funny. You look at supply chains across the board and there's supply chain bottlenecks at every single level, all the way down to the raw materials, like with the uh, trailer shortage right now. I mean, the, the suppliers, the manufacturers are waiting on the suppliers and the suppliers are waiting on the raw materials. And it's just it's so backed up and it's just going to take a while to to work through. So I've got a lot of kinks um, for sure. So. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds here. If, uh, if everybody can go to FreightCast to find out all of our podcasts from FreightWaves, all of our audio and video content available there. You can always go to uh, FreightWaves TV, which is tv.freightwaves.com, or you can go to wherever you listen to podcasts. You can sign up for FreightCast there or sign up for Great Quarter, guys. We are going to be back next Tuesday. 